oh one thing i've got a water bottle with me so if like i've got any weird slurping sounds just cut, <laughs> you can cut them out i've also got well i've got a big cup of tea actually so i'll be cutting out my own slurping sounds as well <laughs> Hello, my name's Emily Anderson and welcome to this episode of Unfinished Unpublished. I'm very excited about this episode because I get to speak to Sarah Geisler, who is a fashion historian. In the summer of 2020, Sarah was furloughed and found that she really needed something to do to keep her busy. So she volunteered to start making scrubs for the NHS. She's very good at sewing, so this was something that she felt that she could do to contribute. But if that wasn't enough, after spending all day sewing the scrubs with the help of her mum, she found that in the evening she also needed something to do to keep her hands busy. So she started making a crazy patchwork quilt from the offcuts of the scrubs that she'd been making during the day. The quilt is her unfinished project because a few other things got in the way of her finishing it last year, but she does think that she'll go back to it and finish it hopefully sometime soon. Sarah talks to me about how she felt quite sentimental about the quilt and how she likes that she has it as a memento of that time. And that prompts a bit of a discussion about quilts being quite emotional or significant objects for people. Sarah's interest in the significance of objects is in fact related to her work as a fashion historian. And we talk quite a lot about how as a fashion historian she's learned to be able to tell quite a lot about people just by looking at their clothes. You can learn more about Sarah by following the links in the show notes and there's a little biography of her there as well. And you can find her on Instagram at sarahmary.g, that's sarahmary.g-e-e. And if you have an unfinished or unpublished project that you'd be willing to talk about, I'd really like to hear from you. You can email me at unfinished.unpublished at gmail.com. So I'd like to start off by asking you about your interest in fashion history. And I have to say that being a dress historian sounds incredibly fun, but I wanted to get the basics covered first, which is to ask you, what does a dress historian do? So, I mean, you're right in the dress history is like the fun sibling of regular history, (laughs) I'd say. But um, so the way I got interested in it is I think I've always had, I've always been obsessed with clothes in fashion and and especially like vintage clothes and I've also I'm also a bit of a history nerd anyways yeah but it happened that I got into it through volunteering in the costume room at Beamish Museum great so I've always been um, a home sewer and dressmaker so I was volunteering with their costumes and through a combination of working on the costumes and props and things I also got to look at they've got these huge archives of just hundreds of years of um, clothing for like Mm. all different levels of society and that's where I got really interested in how you can like look at an item of clothing and be able to tell what kind of a person wore it so things such as gender occupation their class their age their their taste level whether it's homemade or store-bought. And I really got interested in the idea of clothing as a way to learn about history. So that's what I studied, basically. And one of the best terms for it, I think, is you kind of play dress detective. (laughs) I can pick up an item of clothing 
and basically play detective of who wore it. But then also it's a good dress is a good tool to kind of teach history as well. Okay. Again, in places like Beamish, but in museums, it's really helpful to have clothing so people can sort of naturally understand the time and place that these events happened and who was there. It's kind of, it fills in the void of not having people from the past, their clothes are sort of standing. We should just say for anyone who doesn't know that Beamish is a fantastic kind of open air museum where they have whole streets and things like that kind of set out in the style that they would have been centuries ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, and they've got um, costume volunteers uh, who interpret. They work in shops or there's a dentist. It's one of those living museums where you're kind of walking into the past. And you said there about thinking of yourself as a kind of dress detective, which sounds like some kind of fantastic TV format, I have to say. Absolutely. <laughs> and that you were looking for clues about the past from the clothes could you Mm. maybe give an example of what kind of clues that you can find um yeah that's a really good one actually so I've I studied uh fashion and dress history at Brighton and then went on to do a an MA in the history of design and material culture but it was there that I one of the projects I did was I was analyzing this Victorian dress Mm-hmm. which they had originally dated to about 1880 based on the style of it and what I got to do was sort of closely analyse the way that this dress had been made sort of drawing a bit on my past as a dressmaker it was a purple dress that was sort of made from silk and it had a bit of a checkerboard pattern it had a little bustle kind of tied at the back so the behind was sort of built up with frills and it had some black velvet ditched onto it in places. It sounds amazing. Oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> and it was so... The other thing about being a dress historian is you've got to be impartial. So yeah. you're not meant to like impose your taste and say, this is an ugly dress or this is a pretty dress. <laughs> but it was a pretty dress, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> but I was able to look closely at it and see where there were stitch marks of scenes that had been unpicked and I was able to analyse sort of every seam and every stitch in it and figure out that actually this dress was made originally at least 30 years earlier. Oh gosh. And it was actually an example of a dress that had been worn and then either passed on to another wearer and ripped up and sewn back together in different times to suit different styles. That's incredible that you can find out that much just from kind of looking at the stitching and that kind of thing. Absolutely. And then and you could see the the person who'd sewn it. It was actually once you got into it, it it's actually quite messy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so that would suggest that it was somebody who didn't pay someone else to sew the dress. They were probably doing it themselves. So machines were quite common to have in the home from like the 1850s mm. so it was probably somebody stitching it at home um who wasn't particularly a great sewer who was just doing it kind of as a means to an end you can see things from like how much wear is under the armpits as to how often it could be cleaned or, or what fabrics are stuffed in there where have they come from and so by the end of this research project I'd kind of been able to paint a picture of who the woman who ended up wearing it was so it's interesting that you said that you can find out so much about 
the dress and its history and even the person that wore it, partly through analysing the way it's been made and the craft of the thing. But it's not the kind of craft or even maybe you could call it the kind of art that comes with a signature. Is it frustrating that you can't get a name for the person who had the dress? It is always difficult. I think more, um, I think as, as humans, we're sort of, we're always striving for that sort of conclusion. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with history. Sometimes it, you do have to accept that maybe there'll never be like that one definitive answer. And I know that you you said in a message to me that you really like having clothes in museum exhibitions. Could you mm. maybe explain a little bit about why they make such good exhibits? Well, I think there's something that we all naturally engage with. I mean, mm. I so I can't see you right now, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're wearing clothes. I'm wearing clothes. <laughs> this, it's such a everyday familiar thing to just wear clothes. Um, and I think it's it's easy to take it for granted just how how much we understand about the world around us and other people by how they dress, whether it's they're wearing new clothes or old clothes. We can tell if somebody's we can tell what a period drama is because people are wearing yeah. different clothes. And I think putting costume and, and sorry, um I'll clarify that costume's kind of the more traditional term for clothing in museums yeah okay which can be confusing when you're looking at (laughs) costumes yeah but yeah definitely having clothing in museums is almost shorthand for the person that was there and I think for any age for any sort of background or language if you see clothes you're automatically filling in the blanks of this is the person I can imagine them like on a machine or I can imagine them painting or you know whatever the exact yeah. exhibition's about I also think it makes it look really exciting yes yeah I'm so glad by the way that you didn't ask me to describe what I'm wearing just now because it isn't racy at all <laughs> <laughs> oh I wouldn't do that because then I'd have to describe what I'm wearing and it's just it's pure hibernation right now yeah me too <laughs> um I really agree with what you said there though about how how what you wear can make such a massive difference not only to how you feel but also to how people interact with you I know that Mm. if I want to be either invisible or noticeable I can to some extent I can change that by what I'm wearing is that something that you play with yourself oh absolutely yeah so just personally uh, as an independent researcher my subject areas of interest are in communities of dress Mm -hmm. And particularly kind of dressing up in costumes. So I look a lot at cosplay, which is where people dress up and create costumes and cosplays of fictional characters. Sure. And there's and they hang out at conventions and share images of each other online. Yeah. And also um, historical costuming. So people who create or recreate costumes from the past. One of the things I really find interesting about costumes which I think you see in just everyday dress as well is it becomes sort of a protective armor or like an extension of confidence yeah for some people and I definitely use it as that you know or I can feel some days I can wear a t-shirt and jeans and be very stripped back and feel all right whereas other days I think I want to kind of pile on (laughs) something to make me feel a little you know stronger of person yeah and I know that 
when you were growing up, you already understood some of the skill that goes into presenting clothes, making clothes. And that's partly because, in your words, you used to rip up old clothes and remix them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah could I you tell us that. what you were making and what you learned? I'm uh, making a mess mostly. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I God bless my parents because, particularly my dad, if he gave, if he left me a pair of jeans to patch up, I'd cut them up <laughs> before he saw them and then think, oh, they're, they're shorts now, they're mine. <laughs> So I've always been kind of like into sort of alternative music and alternative style. So I was interested in that kind of DIY sort of punk look. Okay. And also as a, I've always been a very curvy lady and mm-hmm. um, I will just go out there and say that women's clothes are not designed for any woman's body. Oh, it's so true. <laughs> oh, it's a nightmare. So also kind of learning to sew, tear things up, sewing them back together was also a kind of way to make things fit me better. Sure. And things like patching or like mending, sticking zips on stuff that had no business having zips on. <laughs> and you now make your own clothes rather than only ripping up existing clothes. Yeah, I, I learned how to make them properly now. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if you ever got inspiration from the other side of your work in fashion history when designing those outfits. Yeah, so actually, um, as a historian, one of the things I'm just personally a fan of is so big on reading, but I love collecting old sewing books from like, oh, wow. I think the oldest one I've got is 19th century, I can't remember exactly when, like 1870 or something. So I'm really interested in kind of the history of different stitches and different kind of techniques to make things Mm. so if I do make something even if it's not kind of even if it doesn't look period or doesn't look like a vintage item I still kind of have that nerdy knowledge in the back of my head of (laughs) oh I did a you know a traditional seam on it or turned up the hem in a hand-sewn way that must be really satisfying to be able to use that oh yeah it's what was I doing today? So I'm re- another thing I'm really big on is mending and kind of keeping my clothes whole as long as I yeah. can. So I was mending a hole in a cardigan today, like a big, mm. thick, woolly one, almost as pro- procrastination. I thought, mm. well, I've, I've got to go to my bookshelf and find a book on mending or find an... <laughs> I've got to go and read the whole chapter on different kind of stitches <laughs> and do decorative stitches on it and... You know, and then it was just a little simple job. (laughs) And if anyone who wanted to maybe start out on a a far more basic level than any of that, would you have any maybe tips for how to start learning to sew or learning to mend? Oh, yeah. I mean, my first and foremost, my tip is don't feel like it's got to look good. Okay. (laughs) I I can certainly attest to the fact that you don't have to be the world's neatest sewer. You just have to put two things together and it's so much easier than you think. You know, I think a lot of people get intimidated, especially mm. with sort of crafts where they think, oh, I'm, I'm no good at that. I'm not creative or I'm not artistic. Or they see fabulous sewn creations, like the kind of thing you'd see on the Great British Sewing Bee. And someone yeah. might look at that and think, oh, I can't do that. But actually I've held patch making workshops in the past oh great okay and that was really lovely because the kind of people that came along to that were um 
all kinds of people who'd never sewn before or not sewn since you know they did it in primary school or something Mm. but I think it's just a really useful skill to have and then once you're and once you're able to sew a little bit you can get a little more confident and think right I can alter the shirt myself and make it look better for me or Mm. I can I don't have to spend as much on jeans because I can buy a cheaper pair and make them fit me better I'm I'm a strong advocate for everyone knowing how to sew and being confident in sewing. I mean, being able to make jeans fit properly is like a superpower. As far as I'm concerned, that would be a brilliant skill to have. Oh, 100%. I'm so, <laughs> I've got jeans that have patches on top of patches just because when you find a pair that fit, yes. you don't know how long it's going to be until you find another pair. Exactly, exactly. You've... You've very clearly got a huge amount of enthusiasm for sewing and fashion and fashion history. Um, And I know that you've been involved in quite a different range of different working roles in fashion and that you're now thinking about the next steps for your career. Is there anything that you have in mind that you'd especially like to do? I mean, like you say, I've had a sort of a wide range of experiences from annotating a, a digital Um, catwalk archive to copywriting in luxury fashion Mm -hmm. to museum roles and archiving the library so I've kind of done a bit of everything one of the things I'm really interested in is uh, the heritage side of fashion I've always I'm massive museum nerd one of my favorite things one of the things I'm missing the most in lockdown but certainly a role curating exhibitions or researching, looking after archives and getting to... One of the things I'm really passionate about is I get so excited about history and mm. learning about people's stories. And I think one of, the, one of my favourite things about my research is getting other people to feel as excited about something as I do. Yeah. And kind of getting to communicate why they should be interested in this purple dress from 1880 or why cosplayers sharing their pictures online is actually something that they should be interested in Mm. and kind of what it says about society so yeah definitely any museum role would be a treat for me I mean I feel as though you'd be great at that just based on what you've already been able to communicate (laughs) in the last few minutes talking to me (laughs) Okay, so I want to move on now to talking about your unfinished project, which is a very extraordinary quilt that you've been making. And I wondered if you could tell me the story about that quilt. So um, the story of it, it's uh, it actually began, I'd say, last summer. I was uh, furloughed from my job uh, about March last year. Yeah. And that was just at the time that everything was kind of going into the first lockdown in the UK and while I was kind of you know racket because I'm I'm very much somebody who like has to be doing a thing yeah I really like feeling I like being occupied I like enjoy working because then that was my day kind of spent but when I didn't have that I thought well what am I going to do to fill my days yeah and I belong to a few sewing pages on Facebook and I saw on one of them somebody was talking about this group in somewhere down south maybe Bristol that were making there was there was a shortage of PPE and particularly scrubs for mm-hmm. the NHS down there instantly 
my interest was piqued and I had a look through the comments and it turns out that there was groups popping up all over the country to provide scrubs for their NHS trusts in their local area. I had a look for my nearest one. At the time I was living with my parents in Northumberland and and it just so happened that the first group I found was making scrubs for James Cook Hospital in Middlesbrough. Yeah. So I got in touch with them and I downloaded all of the paper patterns of... Do you know what a pattern is? Sorry. I can't think of another word, like a template for... Yeah, it's basically the like the blueprints for um, yeah. what you're making. There was, and it was a really extraordinarily organised group that they had all of the documents to download of the scrubs pattern. Um, they had all the information on the best fabrics to use percentage of cotton versus polyester in the fabric yeah thickness colors that kind of a thing and they really just needed as many scrubs as they could mm-hmm. to cope with shortages so I set to work doing that I got my template I got my pattern printed out got everything cut out and then I just turned the dining room into a full factory yeah <laughs> where I'd, I'd cut like a few out at a time and then I'd stitch them all up and it began with going through my own fabric stash yeah every everyone who sews has a has a meaty fabric stash <laughs> and I'm no exception so I had my dad works in Africa and so he over the years he's brought me back all these different wonderful African wax print fabrics oh great um so I ended up being able to use them we found old bed sheets we found mm-hmm. I had these amazing Newcastle United curtains that were my brothers when they were kids and then as well I put a call out on Facebook and my family and friends put a shout out as well if anyone's got old sheets or old bedding you know lightweight cottons that they don't need anymore and I would cut them up and make them into scrubs so in the end there was just an array of these fantastic colours and patterns and I made loads of different ones but then the amount of scraps of fabric yeah. that I ended up with was phenomenal. And we had a sort of sorting system. By that point, my mum had gotten her sewing machine set up too. So we had a little conveyor belt going on. <laughs> and we kind of, we had to organise all the different sizes of the scraps to what we could cut a sleeve out of, or if it was smaller, cut a pocket out of, or if it was too small to do anything with. And so at that point, I started thinking, oh, I, I, I'm a very sentimental person. Mm. And being a fan of history, I'm a fan of things. Um, yeah. So I love having little mementos. And that's when I started kind of thinking about, I'd love to make something out of all of the different fabrics that have gone into the scrubs I've made. Yeah. And I can't remember where I first saw the the idea of a crazy patchwork quilt. I think I saw I think I saw a picture of one in a book. But a crazy patchwork quilt is instead of having like a set pattern of you know geometric shapes that all fit together, it really is a stash buster where you can just they they're just an explosion of all different shapes that just fit together, all higgledy piggledy, okay. all different colours and patterns clashing together. And it's actually I think I think it's a, a style that was popular in the I think like the late 19th century okay 
Um, it was a quite stylish one and they're all stitched together with kind of exposed herringbone stitches in various colours. And I love that as a kind of person who likes things that are ripped up and put back together. I like things yeah. that are a little odd and a little quirky. So it made sense to me. The good thing about starting on the quilt as well was it meant that when I'd finished making scrubs for that day, mm. I still had all this kind of, I don't know, pent up energy in my hands. Like I felt like I mm. still needed to be doing something. Okay. So I could sit in front of the TV at the end of the day and just, you know, chill out, switch off and just, just so. Yeah. So you've mentioned a few times that you feel the need to be kind of busy and doing things. And mm. um, you just said that then about having energy left over, even after spending vast amounts of your time, very, very kind of nicely making, making scrubs. <laughs> so was it really useful for you personally to be doing something while you were furloughed? Oh, 100%. I definitely think, yeah. I definitely think things like sewing or, or crafting in some way, it's kind of releasing that sort of pent up anxiety, really, especially because mm. it was a time where I'd just been furloughed. But also, I think it was just a particularly anxious period for the country. You know, it was all yeah. a bit weird and, and uncertain. It was a great way to ground myself yeah. and have something to concentrate on and focus on. And it was sort of setting small goals of, oh, I can finish a square of stitching and but yeah I definitely think it was sort of a exercise in keeping myself sane. And did you ever get any feedback from the hospital about the scrubs you sent them? Yes I think I received a card so how the the group was organized there was oh we had a, a Facebook group and then there was a Facebook chat which was just hilarious like some of the other women in the group would just, they just share the funniest things. So that was another nice way to kind of, we all had each other to talk up to. And some people had family that worked in the hospitals or, or in a pharmacy and in different places. And everyone kind of was sharing how they were dealing with things, how they were getting on with sewing. We were sharing advice, sharing memes, funny stuff like that. So that was really lovely. But um, because yeah. I was living so far away, most people who were based in Middlesbrough would get their, the scrubs they made sort of collected um, by mm. someone with a car. But I, I would just post them straight to their surgeries or wherever they yeah. were going. So that was nice. I got a card Aww. when I sent off the Newcastle United scrubs. I sent them down to one of the coordinators and she loved them so much that she had her son model them before she sent them off <laughs> because it just so happened she was a Newcastle fan. Well, I'm sure there are lots of very lucky medical staff who are wearing scrubs that are far more stylish from what they normally wear. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I never got any necessarily back of mine, but very often people would share pictures they'd been sent of all these different um, nurses wearing crazy patterns stuff or... <laughs> you know, just everyone looking cool in their couture scrubs. <laughs> I mean, that said as well, there was a um, a shortage of specific coloured scrubs. I know dark blue, navy, cotton, mm. you just couldn't get for love for money yeah. at one point because obviously some of the medical staff still needed to have kind of 
the appropriate colours on. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was definitely a good way to sort of lighten spirits, you know, both in the hospitals and for all the makers who weren't. You mentioned that one of the reasons that you started the quilt was because you're sentimental and you're sentimental about things. Mm. And this this kind of ties into something that I wanted to ask you about the nature of quilts, because I have a pet theory that quilts can be very emotional objects or that they at least kind of have special significance to the person that owns them. And the reason that I'm thinking of that is because for my birthday at the end of last year, a, a big group of my friends got together and all made a quilt by it by making individual patches each and gave it to me and it made me cry <laughs> like oh, it was amazing you make me want to cry that's so your friends are absolute stars that is lovely <laughs> they really are and and I know of, an, of a few people who have quilts that are very emotional for them do you think that's something to do with quilts or is that just coincidence no I think I think you're absolutely right I think quilts have a very interesting history in the at one time they were they were seen as kind of just a very proper activity for a woman to have yeah you know and I'm talking sort of 100 200 years ago mm. it was seen as um like a good a good a sign of a good wife rather is that you know she'd be she'd have patience she'd have virtue she'd be thrifty yeah and and all of these things were characterized by good sewing skills in terms of mending or, or making things or just making nice domestic soft furnishings for the house and one of those things is a quilt yeah if anyone is interested in seeing some stellar quilts again Beamish Museum <laughs> I don't work from there anymore but I do tend to promote them whenever I talk ever uh, but <laughs> but they've got a fabulous collection of quilts yeah and a lot of homemade ones yeah, so the thing about quilts today is I guess they're such an almost outdated item or unconventional item to be making very often. When they are made, it is typically for an event. So I have an, an aunt who lives in the States and she's always, she's into quilting. Yeah. But anytime there's a baby in the family, she'll make a quilt for it. Or Oh, that's lovely. She'll, um, if some of my cousins are moving in together or getting married she'll make them a quilt for their new home and and there is something really lovely and really thoughtful about knowing that kind of every stitch that's gone into this beautiful homemade unique item has been stitched with love yeah and I mean that's what it sounds like with your friends is that it's it's a physical token of somebody's love for you and I think there's something that you can't really there's you can't buy anything that does that absolutely yeah it's genuinely the best present I've ever had <laughs> yeah that sounds brilliant <laughs> also the group that I was sewing for they also got all of their members and there was I think there was a few hundred but there was so many members they got all of them to take a square of scrap and a triangle of scrap yeah. as well and one of the volunteers based in Middlesbrough was going to stitch all the squares together. So they asked everyone to sign it and then she would embroider over the signatures and then stitch all these together. So there's in progress like a beautiful, huge quilt. That sounds wonderful. 
And I think, and it's really special as well because um, obviously with all this, with lockdown, we haven't met each other and I haven't, you know, it might be even a few years before I physically see this quilt, but God, I'm yeah. going to cry. Like, <laughs> it just seems really lovely. And I love that idea that um, my quilt's going to be something lovely for me and I can tell family and friends about it when they come and visit. Whereas mm-hmm. this quilt's something that, it would be wonderful to be kept in a museum as kind of a yeah. a relic of of this period of residents of the northeast and how they came to support their uh, their hospitals. So your quilt currently, I think, is still unfinished because progress was a little bit interrupted by work and house move and things like that. <laughs> life happening. Yeah. So I kind of um, so it's sort of around the same time that there was a few months where. I was making the scrubs and and then stocks kind of caught up with at least our local NHS trust and a lot of the sewers are told to like stand down for a while because they don't need as many coming in as they did yeah and that coincided with me being unfurled from the job I had sure so I kind of fell out of that sort of sewing head for a while yeah and then and it was just sort of a, a period between going back to work and then I moved in with my partner to a new flat and I still haven't really delved into my sewing box since moving between one one thing and another so I think I'm making this quilt sort of a square at a time and I've got maybe 11 out of 25 and I think it's been it's been like that since last year and do you think you will finish it yeah I think Again, as a crafty person who has a stash, I always do tend to have different projects waiting in the wings until mm. I get the inspiration to carry on with them. I mean, it is something I'd I'd love to finish. I sort of don't want to force myself to, I think is the thing. Sure. Yeah. I'd like to get into the routine of it again and, and have it as like a mindful activity to do instead of thinking, oh, I've got to get this done. And I think the fact that it's a it's something for me to be doing mm. means that I don't feel pressured to finish it. Yeah, that's really lovely because I was actually wanting to ask you about the obviously this program is about not finishing things. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you again if you did feel any pressure, but it sounds like you don't, which is which is great. Yeah, I think one of the things as well is um so I use social media quite a lot I use Instagram and I was thinking about this before the talk actually in terms of kind of the projects I do or don't finish because I always take in progress pictures of anything I'm doing okay so I just kind of like documenting that sort of you know this was a pile of rags and thread and now it's a beautiful thing but I, I never generally share my progress before I finished a thing oh that's interesting yeah so I haven't I haven't actually told many people I'm working on a quilt which I never really thought anything of but so it doesn't feel like a secret or anything but it just yeah yeah looking back I thought huh I feel like I haven't mentioned this thing that I've been spending hours on (laughs) and if you if you thought at all about why that is or why maybe you don't share the in-progress pictures until the thing is finished I'm not sure I'm not sure if it's I like the kind of 
closure of being able to show the full process or whether that's kind of a self-imposed pressure that if I show the in-progress things and I tell people about it then I'm kind of expecting myself to finish it yeah okay you know or, or I feel if I if I tell people maybe they'll think well she posted about that seven months ago and didn't say anything about that but <laughs> I think as well again with it being something for me I just feel like it'll be done when it's done and when it is done it's a it's there for me to enjoy and I can tell people if they see it yeah it's really interesting that you say that because a few guests that I've interviewed have said that there's something really valuable to be found in doing things in private for yourself rather Mm. than for social media or whatever that's the thing one of my goals with it was also to kind of get better at hand sewing I do a lot of machine stitching and dressmaking whereas I don't do very much embroidery so it was sort of a way to practice like different stitches and and my kind of neatness in that one of the great things Mm. about sewing is it's it's almost like handwriting and kind of how um personal it is but it's also nice because I can look over the first square I stitched to the most recent and Mm. see a marked improvement in it so I think even when I finished I may not be the best quilter or it may not be to everyone's taste or it may not even look like something that makes sense but it's a very special thing for me I'm fascinated by what you said there about constantly improving your sewing and I get the impression as someone who doesn't sew so correct me (laughs) if I'm wrong but that it's it's maybe possible when you are sewing or embroidering that you can keep adding and adding and trying and trying is it difficult to know when you have actually finished something for that reason oh 100% that is true yeah because I was even and this is even you know back to the quilt Mm. so what I have is kind of a plastic bag with the 11 finished pieces and the other you know the rest of them have all of the bits of um, the different offcuts of the scrubs pinned to them so I have kind of a rough skeleton that I can just go back and sew but then it gets to the point of well how do I arrange it and does it need anything extra on that and do I need borders to it and do I need to <laughs> stuff it with anything in particular and what happens on the other side and do I embroider over it to like write something and then stitch over the writing with it you know do I add in however many colors or do I bring in like a rainbow effect or what yeah so at least for the moment I'm just stitching the squares and it's kind of straightforward so I don't know whether it'll keep getting more and more intricate as I go <laughs> or even as I learn new skills that I want to show off but yeah definitely with as with any sort of creative endeavor you're always gonna see things that you could change or do differently or or improve on and so I don't know maybe when I am done to other people I may yeah. still think of oh, it's got all these other bits I want to do <laughs> and you've spoken there about both adding to stuff but learning at the same time mm. and I was wondering, do you think it's useful as a sewer to be a perfectionist or is that inhibiting? I don't know, because I'd say with sewing, I'm fortunate in that I'm not a perfectionist because I've known other people who are into sort of creative endeavours, not necessarily sewing, who are almost, they prohibit themselves from starting something 
Yeah. Because they don't want to go into it knowing they're not going to do it perfectly. Yeah. Which I definitely think I do sometimes or I'll procrastinate until I feel ready to do something. But um, I'm, I've always been very trial and error. So I've always gone into things thinking this may not be the right way, but in my head it makes sense of like, yeah. I can see how I'm going to do it. And I find that's how I learn best. You know, and I, and I do love learning new skills or getting better at things. You, ne- you never stop learning with creative things. Would you ever abandon something if you started it and then it didn't work? So abandon's a funny word. I'd say mm. I put it on the side. Okay. <laughs> I definitely, if I'm making something that ends up being complex or I get frustrated or sometimes it even happened with the scrubs. I'd be sewing something and it would all be going fine. And then I'd put in a sleeve backwards or yeah. um, I'd sew like I'd sew something inside out or something go wrong or I just have endless machine troubles. And a way I learned to overcome that is just like basically put whatever you're making on the naughty stuff. <laughs> you just you just put it to one side in whatever state it's in and everyone has like a go-to of things that are really easy for them to make. So one of my things is like pajama shorts. Okay. I can like whip them out really, really quick. <laughs> so yeah, I just put put whatever I'm doing to one side and make something super easy and quick and that like resets my head, I guess. Brilliant. I love that attitude. Oh yeah, like it's and it's almost like it's almost like brushing your ego, I guess. Yeah. Sometimes it is just that whatever I'm doing is is far too challenging for me to fully cope with. So to kind of build myself back up, I just go to something I know I can make and it'll look really good. And that'll kind of, it'll rebuild that confidence I have and then I can like re-attack whatever I was doing. It's like the sewing equivalent of making some really delicious cheesy pasta or something, like comfort sewing. (laughs) Yes, oh, that is such a good way to look at it. It's totally comfort sewing. 